Um, take your Bibles tonight, open to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 13, the book of Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at a kind of, I would say, a familiar passage of Scripture tonight, of, uh, probably a familiar account that we are fam- probably maybe learned in Sunday school or teen class or somewhere like that. In Numbers chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse number 25. Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 25. It says, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought that word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. I think a lot of us are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is dealing when Israel is coming to the promised land kind of at this time, and God's desire as He has brought them out of Egypt is to take them into the promised land and to give them this land that He had told them about, that He had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob, that He would make a great nation of them and all this land that uh, Abraham was looking at and all the places that Abraham touched with his feet, God said, I'm going to give it to you. And they come, and of course at this time, Moses sends 12 spies into the land. They've come out of Egypt, and um, of course they've been uh, at Mount Sinai, they've been in the wilderness for a little bit of time, and As they're getting ready to come to Canaan land, Moses sends these 12 spies into the land to to spy it out, to see what it's like. And uh, some of you may be familiar with the the kids' song, 12 men went to spy in Canaan, 10 were bad, 10 were bad, 2 were good. How many of you know that song? Some men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, 2 were good. What do you think they saw at Canaan, 10 were bad, and 2 were good? Some saw giants, big and strong. Some saw grapes of clusters long. Some saw God was in it all, but ten were bad and two were good. Some, you, do you, how many did n- you never sang that song as a kid? You have missed out. You have missed out. Okay, get your hands up like this. Ten were bad. Two, no, not four. Two were good. So ten were bad. Two were good. See how simple that is, right? So. Ten were bad, two were good, right? It's a very fun song. How many of you kids know it? How many of you kids know it? Should we teach it to the adults? 
I think we need to teach the adults this song. All right. So you guys got to, you're going to have to follow along with this. How many, how many kids know it? How many adults know it? If you adults know it, you got to help us, right? All right. Now I just forgot how it starts. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Duh. Right. All right. Here we go. Ready? 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw at Canaan? 10 were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes of clusters long. Some saw God was in it all, but 10 were bad and two were good. See how great that was? You guys did awesome. Yeah. Give, your, give yourselves a hand, right? So that's where we're at, okay? We're, at, we're right there, okay? And uh, again, very familiar with this account. Um, and Moses has sent these spies into the land to find out if it's the way that God had told them that it was. And uh, as we come here, of course, we find out what's going on. But a lot of times what we don't, what we don't think about is who were these men? Who were these men that Moses sent into the land? Were these men just random guys picked out of the crowd and sent to spy out the land? When we go back to the beginning of chapter 13, we find out who these men are. In chapter 13, in verse number 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man. Every one, now notice those next two words, a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were, what's that next word? Heads of the children of Israel. And then, of course, he lists each of the men, one from each tribe, that were sent to spy out the land. So think with me about this. God says, I want you to send men in to spy out the land, but these men are not just to be randomly picked. These men need to be rulers in the land. These men, Moses tells us, were heads of the tribes of the children of Israel. These were not just, can we say, just normal guys. These were guys that, were, that everybody looked up to. These were guys that were leaders in the tribes. They were rulers. They were leaders. And these 12 men went into Canaan to spy the land and to see what kind of land it was. All 12 Israelites, none were outsiders. All of them knew the promises of God. They knew that God had promised them this land. They knew that this land was the land flowing with milk and honey. They knew this was a bountiful land. They knew what God had promised them. And as they spend 40 days spying out the land, they're actually very pleased with how the land produces fruit. If you go down to verse number 23, it says, They came into the brook Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff. That's why when we sang the song, some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes of Eshkel long. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes that two guys have to carry between a staff? I would like to eat one of those. Not the thing, just I'd like to eat one of those grapes. It'd probably like eating an apple, you know. 
And so they're, they're very pleased with the land. In verse number 26 and 27, they came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and, and they brought back word unto them, unto all the congregations, showed them the fruit of the land. They told him and said, We came into the land, and whither thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. Now, where did they get that expression, it floweth with milk and honey? Isn't that what God told them? They said, I'm going to bring you to a land that flows with milk and honey. They came back and they used the very same expression that God had given them. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. They, they showed them the fruit. Man, look at these grapes, and look at these pomegranates, and look at this fruit. It is absolutely amazing. We've never seen a land that produces fruit like this. They were pretty pleased. But as they continue telling their story, they also begin to tell about the enemies of the land. In verse number 28 and 29, they said, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So they start telling about the enemies that are there. In verses 31 through 33, again, they said, the men that went with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land. There's giants there. The enemies are strong. The cities are, are walled. The walls are huge. In fact, they actually begin to embellish to the people of Israel about the enemies. In verse number 33, it says there, we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Do you realize how big something has to be to be a grasshopper in your sight? I mean, I would say this is a pretty tall ceiling here. Would you not say that? I would say it's a pretty tall ceiling. And even if... There was someone, which there wasn't, the giants weren't that tall, but there was someone as tall as the ceiling in here. Would we be a grasshopper in their sight? No, we still wouldn't be a grasshopper in their sight. I mean, when you think about how tall, I knew some laughs were going to come, right? When you think about how tall a person is and you compare it to a grasshopper that's sitting on the ground, I mean, your foot is just able to squash it like a bug. So even a giant that would be as tall as the ceiling, and if we were just the normal size that we are, we're still not considered grasshoppers. We still wouldn't be grasshoppers in their sight, but yet this is how they're embellishing the story. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And what is this doing to the people that are listening? What is this doing to the children of Israel? It says in, verse, in chapter 14 and verse number 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. So as the people have begun listening to these 10 men, remember 10 were bad, two were good. 
as they begin listening to these 10 men and they give this account and man, the fruit looks great, the land is great, the problem is these enemies, we just, there's no way we're able to defeat these enemies, they're just too huge, we're grasshoppers in their sight, we can't do it, and that begins to strike fear into the heart of the people of Israel. And they're afraid. Such fear, again, imagine the fear they're experiencing, that it's so bad that they would rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. They, they, they had just come out of Egypt. They, they remembered what it was like being slaves and and not getting good food and, and having to be at the, the taskmaster's command and all of that. They remember that, but yes, they said, we are so afraid of what's before us that we would rather be back in Egypt as slaves. Would to God they said we had died in Egypt, or would to God we had died in the wilderness. Now, again, sometimes it really kind of amuses me what people say when they're afraid because... By going in, they're afraid of what? Death. They're afraid to die in the promised land. No, they said it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness or die in Egypt. Well, if you're going to die, why not die where you're supposed to die? Right? I mean, if, you're, if death is your only option here, that's what they're saying. Death is our only option. Either we go into the land and we die, we go back to Egypt or we die, or we die here in the wilderness. Death is our only option. Well, at least go in and get some grapes, man. I mean, come on, right? You're not going to get those in the desert where you're at. Those are, in, those are over there. But that's how afraid they were. So bad that they would rather go back to Egypt and be slaves and die there or die in the wilderness. You say, Pastor, so what, is, what are we talking about here? Well, the, the point I want to bring out this evening, of course, our theme this year is strong, and we've, kinda, we've tried to emphasize how important it is for Christians spiritually to be strong. But can I say tonight, I think one of our greatest needs And please understand, I'm not talking about our country, although there's probably a great need for that as well. But I'm talking about in our church and in our homes, there's a need for strong leaders. There is a need for strong leaders. I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm talking about spiritual. In our churches, this church... We need strong spiritual leaders. In our homes, in your home, in my home, we need strong spiritual leaders. Did you notice what happened here? These men were leaders. They were the rulers. They were the heads of the tribes of Israel. These were not just, again, these were not just guys that were just grabbed randomly and taken and said, hey, we're going to send you in as spies. No, no. These were the ones that people looked up to as leaders. And they went into the land that God said, I'm going to give your nation. And they came back. And instead of believing God and instead of trusting God, these ten men, imagine this, ten men caused an entire nation to turn against God. 
Oh, there were two that were good, Joshua and Caleb. In fact, if you read there in verse number 30, it says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Hey, let, hey is my interpretation of him saying something, but hey, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Remember the two that were good, Joshua and Caleb, they said, hey, no, we are able to do this. Don't listen to these 10 other guys. We need to follow God. We need to trust God, and we just need to step out by faith. God's going to take care of it for us. But instead, they chose to listen to the 10 that were bad. What would have happened if those 10 would have just said, you know what? Yes, the enemies are great. Yes, the cities are strong. The walls are big. But God just brought us out of Egypt. God just parted the Red Sea. And if God can do that, he can take care of anything that we find in Canaan land. What would have happened? I can tell you what would have happened. They wouldn't have died in the wilderness. They wouldn't have had to spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness waiting to die. You know, I'm afraid that there are many Christians that their life is being spent just wandering around in the wilderness waiting to die. Why? Because we have a lack of strong spiritual leaders strong spiritual leaders that will trust God strong spiritual leaders that will lead their families and step up and be the men that God wants them to be strong spiritual leaders that will be in the church and step up and and be the example that God wants them to be imagine they said hey we we are going to die if we go forward we can't trust God even though again this what's they use God's very own words yes it is a land flowing with milk and honey but we can't trust God how sad that there are families and there are churches that are turning away from God because there are no strong spiritual leaders. They're looking for spiritual leadership and the ones who are leading, the rulers who are there, the heads of the homes and the heads who are there are saying, we just can't trust God. We can't trust Him. So it's better for us just to wander around in the wilderness and die than to go into the promised land and trust God. Again, even, even if you're going to die in the promised land, at least go in and enjoy some of the milk and honey. At least go in and enjoy some of the grapes of Eskel. I mean, at least step out by faith and say, God, even if we only last a short time, at least we're going to enjoy some of what you promised. But instead, they would have rather... And in fact, if you look later on as they're murmuring, you know what they were, you know what they hoped to be able to eat? Leeks and onions. Ugh. Leeks and you've got 
a, a cluster of grapes that is so big that two guys have to carry. You've got pomegranates, you've got all this food, and what are they saying? Well, we'll take some leeks and onions. Why? Because they chose not to believe God. I want you to notice some characteristics of ungodly leaders. Some, un, some characteristics of leaders that are not spiritual. We're going to see some things here tonight. Notice, first of all, there is a fear of enemies. There's a fear of enemies. Now, look, I know we all have fears, right? We all have fears. Some of us fear little things like grasshoppers. <laughs> Some of us fear little things like spiders or little things like mice or little longer things like snakes, right? We have fears. It's not that their fears weren't real. There were enemies in the land. There's no doubt about that. The Canaanites were there, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, the Hittites. They, they were there. So it's not that they were just making up these enemies. No, the enemies were there. The problem was they were more afraid of the enemies than they were in trusting God. Not only do I believe were they afraid of the enemies, but I think they were, they were afraid that they were actually going to have to do the work. They were actually going to have to fight. You know, when they came out of Egypt, not one of those men picked up a sword or a spear and had to fight. Not one. When they came to the Red Sea and the sea was before them and the Egyptians were behind them, not one man had to pick up a sword and a spear and fight. Not one. And you know, sometimes we can get so comfortable with the blessings of God that when it comes time to really step out by faith and trust God, we just want to say, no, 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 I'm just, I just want the blessings. I don't want to have to work for it. I don't have to want to fight for it. I just want God to just keep blessing, just keep delivering me out of Egypt, keep opening the Red Sea, but I don't want to fight. I don't want to have to work for it. God had told them, when you come into the land, there are going to be enemies and you're going to have to fight. But God said, hey, I don't want you to be afraid because I'm going to fight for you. But you are going to have to pick up a sword. You are going to have to pick up a spear. You're going to have to pick up bow and arrow. You're going to have to pick up a shield. There are going to be some battles you're going to have to fight. But I'm going to be there with you. And he said, you know, we don't want to fight. We don't want to have to pick up a sword. We don't want to have to pick up. We, we would just rather have everything be comfortable But can I say, if we're going to get what God wants us to have, we must be willing to fight for it. I'm afraid that's the problem with our country today. We've enjoyed the blessings of God without having to fight for them. And please understand, I'm not talking about physical fighting. That's not what I'm talking about. Far too long, Christians have just enjoyed the blessings of God, and they've just gotten comfortable and now when we look at the direction our country is going, we want to try to blame the politicians and we want to try to blame everybody else. Look, friend, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We have become too complacent just like they were. We've just accepted it. Hey, just keep giving me the blessings. Just keep giving me a blessing. Work? No, I don't want to do that. Fight? No, I don't want to do that. Stand for truth? No, I don't want to do that. Get my hands dirty? No, I don't want to do that. 
And what happens? It affects an entire nation. They began to fear. And they said, would God we had died in Egypt. Would God we died in the wilderness. Can I tell you something? If you want to have a strong Christian family, you're going to have to fight for it. You understand what I'm saying? If you want a strong Christian family, you're going to have to fight for it because the devil's not going to give it to you. The world's not going to give it to you. You want a strong Christian family? You want your children to love God? You want your children to to grow up, to have a desire to please him and love him and serve him? You're going to have to fight for it. It doesn't come easy. There are enemies. Look Look around. The world is full of enemies. The world is full of giants. The world is full of walled cities and obstacles. But what do we, what we want to do? We're just like, well, you know, I, I dedicated them to God. That's, it's, it's God's fault if they don't turn out. Look, just man up and say you're not willing to fight for it. Because that's what it is. We're not willing to work for it. We're not willing to fight for it. You want a godly church? You better be willing to fight for it. Because I guarantee you there's nothing more that Satan wants than to destroy churches. If he can destroy the homes and he can destroy the churches, if he can get, hey, if he can get you to, hey, you're not going to have a Christian family, you're not going to raise your children to love God, where are the churches going to be? There aren't going to be any churches. Strong, godly churches, they're not going to be there. Why? There's no strong leaders. There's no strong leaders. Look, can I, can I just say something very kindly, ladies? I appreciate you. You, you guys, you, ladies are awesome. Ladies, they, they love God and, and they serve so much and they, they work in their families and help raise their kids and, and cook and clean and do all these things. But guys, can I tell you something? We've got to man up. It's not the lady's job to be the spiritual leader in the home. It's not the lady's job to be the spiritual leader in the church. That's our job. That God gave that to us. Well, we're just, we're just willing to, to let it go. Like, well, they, they want to lead or they, they want to do it. No, guys, that's not their job. You want a strong Christian home, you better be willing to fight for it. You better be willing to work for it. And it's going to take effort. It doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time, you being with God. You getting alone and you talking with God and you praying and you begging God, God, watch over my children. God, I'm going to put everything I can into them. I'm going to put everything I can into this marriage. God, I I want you to protect it. God, I'm going to do everything I can to, to help be the godly leader that I want to be and the spiritual leader that you want me to be because, God, I want to fight for my family. I want it to be a Christian family. God, I want to fight for my church. I want it to be, have, we want to have a godly church that honors you. God, I'm going to fight for these things. Why? Because God's blessings don't come cheap. They don't come cheap. You think it was cheap, the blessing of salvation? Oh, thank God we're saved, but it wasn't cheap, friend. It cost something. It cost his dear son. God's blessings are not cheap. 
Are we willing to fight for them? Are we willing to work for them? You see, a characteristic of, of, a, of a weak leader of this, these ungodly leaders was there was a fear of the enemy. Instead of being willing to trust God, they were looking at the enemy and somehow thinking that the enemy was greater than the God who had just brought them out of Egypt. They feared the enemy. I love what Joshua and Caleb said, look in chapter 14, verse number 6, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, remember, two were good, two were good, two were good, right? And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. (laughs) I love what they did. They took God's word, and instead of using him in a negative aspect, they turned it into a positive aspect. He said, you guys are right. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. But remember who told us it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey? It was our God. Our God told us it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And he said, if God delight in us and if the Lord delight in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Only rebel not ye against Moses. Is that what they said? Only rebel not ye against the rest of the people. No. He said, only rebel not ye against the Lord. You see, their rebellion was not against Moses, although Moses was the leader God had given them. Their rebellion was against God. They chose to put more faith in the enemies that were before them than in their own God. And how sad that even today, many Christians are choosing to put faith in the enemies that lie before us instead of putting faith in our God. They said, hey, don't rebel against God. For they, this is what he says, they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. I like the two that were good. I like Joshua and Caleb. Oh, yeah, we know the story. Joshua goes around Jericho and things like this. But that's 40 years later. That's 40 years from now that that happens. See, back here, when they sent in the 12 spies and Joshua and Caleb go in with them, they were two of the leaders. They were two of the strong, godly leaders. They said, hey, we believe we can trust God. We believe that we can follow God. We can trust him. And he says, they are bread to us. They are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. Did they have strong walls? Sure they did. Absolutely. They had strong walls. Did they have strong armies? Sure they did. Did Israel know anything about fighting? Nope. They didn't know a thing about fighting. Where had they just come from? Slavery. 
They, they weren't this well-trained army that knew how to use swords and knew how to use spears and, and shields and, and tactical warfare and things like that. They, they didn't know all of that. They didn't know those things. And yes, were the armies there strong? Did they, did they have experienced men? Yes. Were there some giants in there? Yes. But Caleb and Joshua said, they're just bread for us. They're bread. And he says, their defenses, they're departed from them. I think it's it's amazing how 40 years later, 40 years later, they send, when Joshua now comes to to enter the promised land, Joshua's there, he sends two spies in. I think that was a wise move for Joshua. He said, we're not going to make sure the 12 discourage the people again. We're going to send two spies in. These two spies go in and go to the city of Jericho. Jericho, they find Rahab. And it's interesting. What does Rahab tell these two spies? We are scared to death of you. What? You're scared of that? We haven't done anything. They said, since you came out of Egypt, we have been scared to death of you. Why? Because of your God. We've been scared to death. What did Caleb and Joshua just say? Their defense is departed from them. They are scared to death. They have just seen the the world power. Egypt was the world power at this time. They have just seen Egypt wiped off the face of the map. They are scared to death. I mean, this, this... ragtag group of slaves that has come out of Egypt they just defeated the world empire they just opened up the Red Sea and walked across they were scared to death Caleb says their defenses are departed they are afraid of us you know the Bible does say greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world amen Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hey, it doesn't matter how big the army looks. Our God is still greater. There is no enemy that that can stand against our God. So then where are the leaders? Where are the strong leaders? Have we become so afraid of the enemies that instead of trusting God, we're just going to wander in the wilderness? May I say, secondly, not only were there, was there a fear of enemies, but there was a disregard for God's word. There was a disregard for God's word. Look with me in verse number 31. But the, wind that, the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now think about that. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than us, right? Hold your place here. Go back to Exodus chapter 3 with me. Exodus chapter 3. Look in verse number 7. 
Well, go back up to verse number six. Moreover, he said, he's talking to Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with what is those next words? Milk and honey. God's words. I'm going to bring them up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place, now watch this, this is God speaking, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Well, wait a minute. Who did they just say was in the land? The Amalekites and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. Well, that's funny. That's exactly who God told him was in the land. God's already told him who's there. Watch. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress. Come now, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. What's God saying? Moses, I'm going to send you. You're going to deliver them. It's time for my people to come out of Egypt, and I'm going to bring them into the land that I promised them, the land flowing with milk and honey. God's purpose for delivering them was to give them the promised land. He was going to give them the promised land. And now what? Now they're turning away. They're disregarding what God said, and they're saying God can't do it. Now, friend, let me, let me just explain something to you here. God said, I'm bringing you out of Egypt to bring you into the promised land. So what was God's purpose of bringing them out of Egypt? To bring them into the promised land. That was his whole purpose. He said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and bring you into the promised land. Did God keep his promise in bringing them out of Egypt? Yes, he did. What was his purpose? To bring them into the promised land. When did God change? When did God change? See, that's the thing. God didn't change. God's purpose was still there. I'm bringing you out of the Egypt to bring you into the promised land. Friend, why did God save you? He brought you out of sin. He brought you out of judgment, not just to live however you want, but for a purpose to bring you into the promised land to bring you into a land of blessing, to be able to use us for his purpose, to use us so that the world can know that there is a God, a true living God, not some dead, fake, false God, but that there is a true God. He says, I want to use you to show the world who I am. And there are going to be enemies. I'm going to tell you who they're going to be. The Jebusites are going to be there. The Amorites are going to be there. The Canaanites are going to be there. You know, God does the same thing. He tells us who our enemies are. 
He said, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're all of the world. Can I tell you, here's, here's your enemies. The devil's going to be there. The world's going to be there. The things of the world are going to be there. They're all going to stand before you. Your enemies are going to be right there. But I'm bringing you out of Egypt to bring you into the promised land. And when you come into the promised land, yes, there's going to be enemies, and yes, you're going to have to fight, but I want you to know, I will be with you. I'm afraid the reason why we don't have strong leaders is because we simply disregard God's Word. We just don't believe what God says is true. We don't believe it. Even though we've seen salvation, we've experienced it ourselves, we've seen God has brought us out of the muck and mire of sin and, and brought us into His own family, into His own home, but somehow something has changed. No longer is God able to deliver us from our enemies. What's happened? God has changed. God's not the same anymore. He just can't do it. No, friend, God hasn't changed. Our belief has changed. Our faith has changed. And can I tell you what your family needs? Your family needs strong spiritual leaders who believe God. Your family needs, your church needs strong spiritual leaders believe God where are they where are they will you choose to be one of those two or will you be one of the ten remember ten were bad two were good so which one are you going to be because and, and we're going we're to have to finish this later because I've got I've got like five other points here that we need to get through. I don't think you want to be here till nine o'clock, so I'm going to have compassion. Can I tell you, this is so vital, though. We get mad. We get upset at our political leaders for not being strong in politics, being wishy-washy and just saying one thing to get elected and doing something else. We get upset with them. We get mad at them. And then what do we do? We turn around and do the very same thing. Where are the strong leaders? Friend, God wants you to be a strong leader. I'm not just talking to the men. I'm talking to every one of us doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Can I tell you something? These young people in here, they need to see examples of strong leaders. They need to see examples of strong spiritual leaders. But can, young people, can I tell you? You don't have to wait to be a grown-up to be a strong spiritual leader. You don't have to wait till you're an adult. You don't have to wait till you're in your 20s or 30s. Hey, no matter what age you are right now, you can still be a strong spiritual leader. Man, thank God for David as a young boy being a strong spiritual leader. Thank God for those throughout Scripture who are young, Daniel, uh, 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 um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, they were willing to be strong spiritual leaders at young ages. They didn't wait till they were older. They started when they were young. But where are they going to see that example if there aren't any strong spiritual leaders in our homes and in our churches. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. 
They're bread to us. They're bread. Not a problem. You know why? Because God's on our side. God's on our side. We can do it. I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder tonight. Ten were bad. Two were good. Ten said, nope, God can't do it. Two said, God can do it. Ten said, the enemies are too great. Two said, our God is greater. Ten affected a nation, and they turned against God. Two affected their families. And 40 years later, it was only their families who entered into the promised land. Ten were bad. Two were good. Which one do you want to be? Not asking which one are you, which one do you want to be? I dare say there's probably not one person here that says, I want to be the bad one. No, of course not. We all would say, I want to be the good one. Then are you willing to work for it? Willing to fight for it? Are you willing to believe God? That what God says is true. And you can trust Him. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, especially tonight, our men. Lord, our husbands fathers that are here tonight Lord help us see how vital it is that we are strong spiritual leaders in our homes for our families for our church but Lord it's not just the men who need to be strong spiritual leaders the ladies the teenagers the young people Lord every one of us you desire for us to believe you Lord, to work, to be that spiritual leader that you want us to be, to be willing to fight, to be that strong spiritual leader that you want us to be. Father, I pray that you would give us men and women, teenagers, that would have the desire to be like those two who are good. Joshua and Caleb that just said, Lord, we're just going to believe you. We're going to trust you. We're not going to listen to what anybody else says. Though they may, the other ten may affect an entire nation, God, we're still going to trust you. We're still going to believe you. We're going to be able to watch you work. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts tonight. Lord, we need strong spiritual leaders. Help us to be that for you. Help us to be that for our church, for our families, for our community, for our country. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, we're just going to stand quietly this evening. The piano's just going to play softly tonight.